This lecture is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Deacon Danny Cahoot. We've been studying uh, the lives, the lives and deaths of the apostles, all of them. Some of them, a little bit is known about them. So as we get further down into them, we'll move through those rather quickly. But today we'll be talking about the Apostle Philip and his life. And uh, one thing I'd like to finish up on is where I finished last week on the life of Thomas. Thomas was known as the doubting Thomas and the doubting, the doubter. And that's what he was, most people in church considering him doubting Thomas. I wish that the church would develop a different attitude about him because he was actually the rallier, the one that kept them all together, the one that, that, that encouraged their faith. And I'm going to finish up with that scripture where we started, where we finished last week. In John chapter 11, I know David is teaching in John, but so I'm just, I'm, my focus on John is, is the apostles, not the book of John. And this is right as Jesus had gotten word that Lazarus was sick and he loved Lazarus. And so he delayed his going, uh, leaving to go to see him for two days. And then he decided, let's go to Judea and let's go to the city, see Lazarus. He's sick. And they said, hey, there's no need to go there. He's dead. And all of the apostles, except for one, if you look at John chapter 11, verse 8, and his disciples said unto him, Master, the Jews of late have sought to, sought to stone thee, and you're going, goest thou thither again. So the disciples are sitting there trying to tell Jesus, don't go to Jerusalem, because if you go, we're all going to get it. We're all going to get it. They're going to stone you. Don't go there. Okay, but if you look on down to chapter six, verse 16, well, let's go to 14. Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there for the intent that ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go with him. Let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas was ready to die. Thomas didn't doubt that Jesus, who Jesus was. Thomas was... I like to look at Thomas as the one who said, hey, I'm ready to die with this man. He's our Savior. Let's go. Let's all go and die with him. Not that he just didn't believe that Jesus had rose from the dead. So I, would, I like to personally think that Thomas is not Thomas the doubter, but Thomas is the rallier. But we're not talking about Thomas this morning. We're going to head straight to Philip. But that's, that's where I ended up last week talking about when, when Thomas was uh, executed. So we're going to be going into Philip this time. There's two groups. There's actually three groups of four, but the first group was Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They were grouped together. The second group was Philip, Nathaniel, Thomas, and Matthew. Now, Nathaniel was actually Bartholomew, and Philip and Nathaniel were real close friends. And what these two did is they both were fishermen as well, but they didn't own any part of the fishing business. They were hirees. They would go and 
work for whichever one would hire them. Nathaniel and Philip would go. If Peter needed somebody that day, they'd work for Peter. If uh, James needed somebody that day, they'd go, and they were just fishermen. They, they too went to the same synagogue. Growing up, they all went to the same synagogue and studied together. Although Peter, James, Andrew, and John left at 13, they still went to the synagogue and still worshiped on the feast and still went and studied, but they just didn't go to school. As we taught earlier that when they left at 13, that didn't mean they left the religion. They just quit going to the school. As well as Philip and Nathaniel, they still all worshiped together and came to the same synagogue and worshiped together. Philip is a Greek name. His name, Philip, means lover of horses. He had a Jewish name, but it's not listed in the scriptures. Uh, it was never listed. All 12 apostles were Jews, so they had Jewish names. Philip's name is not listed. The Greek culture and the Greek civilization had spread throughout the entire Mediterranean region and Middle East after the conquest of Alexander the Great. And the people there adapted the Greek language, the Greek culture, and the Greek customs, and they were known as Hellenists. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's H-E-L-L-E-N-I-S-T-S, the Hellenists. Hellenists, Hellenists, whatever that, how that, how it, I don't know how to pronounce it. But they were known as the Hellenists, Hellenists Jews, which were Jews that had adapted the Greek culture. And if you look in Acts chapter 6, we'll flip through some scriptures as we get going here in Philip's life. It explains that a little bit. There's two Philips now. Don't, uh, this is the call of the deacon Philip here is where we're getting going to. But that's not the apostle, according to what, how I interpret this here. Some people say different, but if we read this, let's look at Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was multiplied, not the apostles, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, there arose a murmuring among the Grecians. This is the Hellenistic, Hellenists, Jews. These are the Jews that adapted, adapted the Greek culture, the Greek language, the Greek way of living. There arose a murmuring against, of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected daily in ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, see that's the twelve, that's the twelve apostles, called them. Philip was among them. So the twelve apostles got together and said, and called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, it is not reason that we should not that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Philip was among them. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out seven honest men of full report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, that we may appoint them over this business. But we ourselves continually give to, will continually, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The same pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Ghost, Philip, and Prochorus. Now, they chose Philip, if you see that. 
they chose out seven honest men, and they sit, and it says specifically, and they chose Stephen, and they chose Philip, they chose Pacorus, they chose Nacon, they chose Timon, Parmeus, Nicholas, the proselyte, and Antioch. Okay, I'm going to end right there on this because I'm not going to get into the story, to develop that further. That'll come later as we may talk a little bit more about that Philip. But if you look at John chapter 1, let's go back to John chapter 1. I keep hitting back on this, this part right here. Philip was born in Bethsaida. This is why I see there's, there's two different callings here. Jesus found Philip and said, follow me. Not these apostles. And, and if, if you look at it closely, let's, let's read these, the scriptures here because this is pretty cool. Uh, the more I study it, I get something different out of it every time. Starting John chapter 1, verse 35. This is really good. The next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon, Je looking upon Jesus as he walked, saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak. They followed Jesus. Jesus turned and said unto them, following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He said unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak following him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his brother. Okay, this is Andrew going and finding Peter. Okay, this is a real good point here. He first findeth his brother Peter and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted as, as the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is interpreted as stone. The day following... Jesus, the day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and he findeth Philip. See, Andrew brought Peter to him and, and all but one other disciple were brought to Jesus. This is the first disciple, the first, the first follower that Jesus sought out and found. This will be important as we develop this further. Jesus found Philip. So if you look back in Acts chapter 6 where that story took place, the disciples chose out those seven men and said among them was Philip. That was Philip the evangelist and uh, it's different than the apostle. That's the way I read it. Now Philip was of Bethsaida. That's where we just left off there. The city of Andrew and Peter. Now, the, the history behind what they did for a living and where they are is in other history books. It's not biblically documented, but it is in the history of their lives. Okay, my Bible's falling apart here. And Philip findeth Nathaniel, and Nathaniel was his best buddy. Just like Peter and Andrew were brothers, they were best buddies with James and John. Nathaniel or Bartholomew, Bartholomew is Daniel, is Nathaniel. They're the same ones. Philip findeth Nathaniel and said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write 
Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now this shows me that Nathaniel, which is Bartholomew, Philip, James, John, Andrew, and Peter studied the law together. They were, they were constantly looking for the Messiah. They were studying the law of Moses. They were studying the law of prophets. So, so they, were, they were seeking. They were looking. They, they didn't know that he was going to come, but they were following John the Baptist, and they knew that the Scripture says that this will be the forerunner, with, which without bouncing back and forth the Scriptures. I just threw that in there. In verse 46, and Nathaniel, I thought this verse was really interesting here. This is learning time here. This is not, this is, this is just an observation. Now, Jesus saw Nathaniel come, wait a minute, let me back up. Okay, Philip had told, found Nathaniel and said, we have found him, the one that, that the prophets wrote about. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said to him, can anything come good, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Now, he was, the, the way, if you study this closely, in Galilee, there's different cities, and I've related it to how we were coming up in our high school. You had the Tri-Cities area, you had Petersburg, you had Hopewell, you had Colonial Heights. We were rivals. You could ask us anything. We're going to beat them. We're going to, we're going to take them. We're going to, and, and, and the rival was not a hatred. So when, if you study the close, close, uh, Nazareth and Bethsaida, were rival cities. They weren't warring against each other. They just were, we're better than you. No, we're better than you. It was, it was a rival that was not violent, if that makes sense. So when Nathaniel was being sarcastic, if you study in a, in, in a different book, Nathaniel was not saying a hatred for, for uh, Nazareth. Is, <laughs> can anything good come out of Nazareth? Talking about when he was bring, talking about Jesus. So that, that comment there is not a putting down of Nazareth. Okay. Jesus saw Nathanael coming and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed. Let me back up that, to that verse. Nathanael said unto him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming and said unto him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, whom is no guile. Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered, said him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou was under the fig tree, I saw thee. And Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. Because Nathanael was perched under a fig tree by himself. And Jesus was nowhere in sight. So there, so first thing Philip does, he goes find Nathanael and brings him to Jesus. Now Nathanael is a follower and Jesus calls Nathanael. We'll get into his life probably the next time, but this one is on uh, Philip. Okay, so that, uh, that's Philip's calling. I had to separate that from the Philip the Evangelist. Okay, Philip born in Bethsaida. Okay, John. Oh, that's what I just did. Okay. Okay. Let's go to John chapter 21. Let's 
I won't know what I've got to say about that till I get there. I just wrote the scripture now. John 21, 2. Let me see. Okay, this is this is showing you this is just the verse that's showing that they all that they were fishermen, even though they didn't own a fishing boat. That's why I put it down there, because I, I I'm putting it in, I'm injecting that into a different place. I wish I'd have done that earlier. All right, verse twenty one, I mean chapter twenty one, verse one. After these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee. And on this wise he showed himself. There were together Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Cana and in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples. Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. And they say unto him, we also go with thee. And they went forth into the ship and immediately that night they caught nothing. That is just to show you that they all were fishermen, but they didn't own the fishing business. That's why that's in there because it lists, lists them that went. Okay. If you look closely at the, the ones that Jesus actually did call, none of them were gifted. None of them had a talent other than fishing. You know, they did. He didn't. Jesus didn't call the scholars. Jesus didn't call the the the, the ones that could that could negotiate contracts. Jesus laid it down and called common people like you and I. The first. Let's see. Philip was the first that Jesus actually sought and found himself. Okay, let's go to Matthew chapter 6 real quick. Philip, like the first four, had been studying the law and the prophets. I've already done that. Let's see we have. That's what I did. I covered my first page before the second one, so I'm lost. Okay. I'm sorry, guys. All right, John. Let's go back to John. I'll come back to Matthew because that's going to be a different point. I'm sorry. All right, go back to John, chapter 6. All right, this is back at the feeding of the 5,000. Philip was a, was a master mathematician. He knew the figures, he knew the, uh, he could calculate, he could, he, he was a brilliant mathematician and he didn't have education to do it, he just was gifted with math. And he was actually appointed to organize all the meals, to organize, either though Judas Iscariot handled the money bag and handled all the money, he, uh, Philip was the one that organized everything. Okay, we need this much money to do this because we got to feed this many people. We got to have two meals over here for these people. He was the organizer of everything where the money was spent. He could calculate it down to the penny. He was a stone counter is what they called him. Okay, so when Jesus, when, here's the story here about, about this story about Philip's life. We're leading up to his execution here in a little bit, but... John 6, after these things, chapter 1, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him. 
And they saw his, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. Jesus went up into the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. The Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. And when Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw the great company come unto him and say, Philip, when shall we buy thee that these may eat? Jesus singled out Philip. Philip was the one that that organized it. Philip was the one. Now, Philip was calculated, and he had already got there. If you you study in in a different text, he was already been looking at the crowd, and the first thing he was thinking in his mind, being a mathematician, man, these people are going to be hungry. Let's see, count, let's see, if we're going to buy bread, somebody better go get it now. So, you know, man, we, we, we don't have enough to feed. He's thinking this in his head. So Jesus knows his heart. Philip, when shall we buy bread for these to eat? This he said to prove to him, not, and this he said to prove him for himself, knew what he would do, to prove him to Philip. Not to prove himself, Jesus never doubted how he was going to feed him. Philip answered, he knew Philip was calculating. He knew Philip was, Philip had seen the healings. Philip had seen the miracles that Jesus did. Philip was there when the water was turned to wine. Philip, Philip knew, but where was his faith? When, on the realm of impossibility, that's, that's, that's a problem all of us have as Christians. We know what God has brought us from. We know what things that God has delivered us from. We know what he's brought us through all the time. All along, all along in our, in every one of our lives, we're all human. We know what God has done. But when you're facing the storm that you're in, that particular time, you see, is God really there? What, where is he at, Lord? What are you doing, Lord? Where is it? But we know from history what he has done and what he can do. But we doubt. We all do. Okay, and Philip answered, verse 7, 200 pennies worth of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone may take a little. Okay. Okay, he's calculating this up. Let's see. Everyone may take a little. He, okay, he said, he's, this is... Uh, he had already calculated he had to some he he had seen many impossible things happen the water and the wine overwhelmed with the impossible the self thinking that it can't be done a demerit he was thinking that if he just had he had enough when he said 200 pence that was what calculated out as one demerit denarius which would only buy 12 wheat biscuits he, the one demerit which is 200 pence worth which have bought 20 barley biscuits. If you broke them in half, that simply could not, couldn't, couldn't give everybody a half a biscuit. That's only 40 biscuits, and you're looking at 5,000 people. He's calculating. When he said 200 pence of bread, when you study what 200 pence to buy bread, if you calculate how much money that would actually buy, he's thinking, okay, I've got a, I got, I can't do it. It can't be done, Lord. It just can't be done, Lord. Instead of, Hey, cast your care. Hey, it's on you. You tell me where to get it from. I'll bring it here and divide it out. And so he was thinking in himself by that comment, 200 pence is not enough to feed these people, Jesus. 
It simply can't be done. There's no way. And, you know, that's in our own lives. We may never know how. We may never know when. There's a song about that. We don't know how he's going to. We just know he is. And he, we just know his promises. We just know that he's never suffered the righteous to famine. He always supplies. Maybe not what we want, but it's always what we need. And we don't understand that. Sometimes, I, you know, I, in my own prayer life, I'm thinking, why? Why is it like this? But see, I don't know why. He does. And, and in my own life, I have, to, I have to just let it go sometimes. I have to, and trust. You know, as long as I'm, I'm, I'm balanced in my life, he's not going to let me famine in my, even in my own spiritual life. Okay. So then we are right here. And uh, when Philip answered him, 200 pennies worth of bread is not sufficient for them to, that every one of them take a little. And one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said in him, there is a lad. Here's Andrew, which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? Jesus, he turned it over to Jesus. Andrew had gone out and searched out this little fellow and said, that's all we got. It's not up to us, it's up to you. It's not up to, you said feed them. That's all we got. That's all we've got. That's all we have. That's all we can do. It'll be three days before we get back to town when we have done all we can possibly do and have turned it over to Christ himself, turned it over to the Holy Spirit, turned it over to the living God and said, this is, I've done all I can do. There's nothing else that I can think of and just turn it over. And that's where Andrew was in his life. And Jesus said, make the men sit down. And that's what some, I think sometimes Jesus asks, the Holy Spirit leads us to do. You do what you can do. Exhaust yourself. Take it to your possible physical limit to all you can do so that you can sit back and watch me work. Long as you're figuring, long as you're calculating, long as you're trying to work it out, long as you're trying to put yourself into it, long as you're trying to do it, I can't work. But when you reach your end and you've done all you can do, that's when I can show you my power. That's when I can show you my grace. That's when I can give you your help that you need in the time of need. Okay, and so Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now there was, there was much grass in the place, so the men that sat down in number were about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, his disciples distributed he distributed the disciples and the disciples to them. So that's the story. is not about the, 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 how, how it was done as far as Jesus performing the miracle. But Philip calculating with his own power, with his own spirit, 200 pennies worth is not going to be enough. This, this is impossible. It's not going to happen, Lord. I'm just sorry. It's not going to happen. And Andrew said, all we, all we have, I've searched out the whole crowd. That's all we've got. There it is. It's up to you. And the master takes over. That's, that's, 
every time I read stories like this, I get something different. Just one more little nugget out of it. Okay. And uh, the next part. And see, that's how Jesus tells us one time. Let me, let's go back to the Matthew there. Matthew chapter 6 again, where I was at. Because Jesus is telling us to have a single eye here when he's teaching on the Mount of Beatitudes. He's saying, uh, talking about our walk and our talk in this life here. We're going to get right back to Philip, but this, is, this, this fits right into where we are. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 19, Jesus says, Lay not up for yourself treasures on the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt. This is chapter 6, verse 19. Where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt. Where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And if you flip back to where Philip was on that mountain, his treasure was in numbers at that particular event. What he could see, what he could touch, what he, it's impossible. Here's Andrew. It is possible, but it's not well possible with us, but with him it is. And here's the, here's the, the scriptures I was getting to. The, Jesus is telling us the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. If we single, if we singly single our eyes focused on the Lord, we're walking around and we we are not divided in our thing. We are happy. We're smiling. We're shaking hands. We're inviting the church, and and people can see the light of Christ shining in us. People can just just see it. You can just feel it vibrating off of you. If your light, if your eyes single, serving Him, trusting Him, letting things go. Let Him have the impossible. Let Him, I can't work the impossible. Don't argue with people. Don't debate people. Don't, you, you, you ask Him. And your eye be singly minded towards Christ, then your whole body's going to glow. But, if I, if the light in that body is, if the light of that body is, the, the light of the body is the eye. This is 22. If, eye, if thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. But if the eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light in thee is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now here's the, the difference in that. You can tell somebody that their eye is not singly-minded, focused on the all-healing, all-powerful, all-mighty works of God. Just like a mule. What can I find that's wrong? What can, what can I single out that I don't like? Look at him over there. You see him, you see him coming these doors sometimes. Frowning. That's an eye that's full of darkness. Their eyes not single-minded. Their eyes not on the love of Christ. Their eyes not on focused on somebody getting saved. Their, their eyes on fault finding. What can I find that's wrong rather than the light being, oh, such man. I woke up another day and I'm be feeling mighty fine. And what, a, what a deity we have that God has given us to give him glory, to give him praise, to let him 
Worship through me. Let me worship through him. Let's have communion every day. And, and people can see that when you come in and you're happy and you're enjoying, you're enjoying another breath that God gives us because just like that, it's gone. Okay, now we're going to come right back here to the upper room. Philip, this is John chapter 14. I'm not stepping on you thing. We're talking specifically Philip, David. John chapter 14. Let's jump there real quick. Jesus is in the upper room. He's getting ready to head to the cross. This is a really powerful part we're getting to here. And it is humbling in a way. Jesus sits down with them at the Passover and he's trying to tell them, look, what you're getting ready to see, you can't see right now. But in another two or three days, it's going to be real bad. It's starting tomorrow. But in four days, you will find out something. Let not your heart be troubled. 14.1 Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, ye may be also. Whether I go, you know. And the way you know. I've been with you here three and a half years doing all this stuff. You know. You know. You know. And Thomas said unto him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. What are you talking about? We know not where thou goest. How can we know the way? And Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. If ye had known me, this is the good part, ye have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip. Here you go, Philip again. He's the one that has to physically calculate, physically see, physically look at it. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. Then we'll, we'll understand. I want to see God. Show us the Father. Show, you're, you're talking about Him. You're saying you're going to the Father in my Father's house. Just show us God. This is what Philip is saying to, the, to Jesus. Just show us the Father. Philip said to him, Lord, show us us the Father. Then we won't have nothing to worry about. We'll know for sure. We'll, we'll see him. And Jesus said to them, I have been with you so long. I have been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip. Wow. Can you imagine that? This is in the upper room. All the, all the disciples are sitting around. He's singling out Philip. How long have I been with you? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, and the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but of the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. The greater works, 
You know, everybody knows that we don't, we, we're not going to walk up to a casket and raise somebody from the dead. If you study that close, greater works than that is when you've reached the impossible, when you've done all you can do. See, most people don't get to that point where they turn it over and say, and with 100% faith and say, it's yours. I'm totally 100% confident that he is going to come through. There's no doubt. Most people wallow and mire and don't reach that point to totally let go of their cares, to let go their, to just let it go. Greater works than these is reaching the total impossible in your life and stepping back with confidence that God's got the answers. It's all on him. It ain't on me. If I'm living right, if I'm totally submissive, if I'm in his will and I've done all I can do, if I just step back and let him have it, this, no, don't take this wrong. If God doesn't take care of it, then he's lied to all of us. If God does not supply your need, not your want, but your need according to his riches, then he has lied to every one of us. He has to. He has to honor his word. But most of us, with our mouth and with our tongues, don't reach the impossible and turn it loose. We reach the impossible and murmur and gripe and, instead of when our prayer life come boldly before the throne of grace. God cannot look on sin and say, get down and spend an hour. Oh God, I'm a sinful man. Help me, Lord. Forgive me of all my wrong. Forgive me of all my... And just go through your life and have a check of it. When you're totally clean, totally clean, God can intervene. All right, let me... Uh, I got to finish up here for just a second. Man, I, I'm not going to finish. Okay. Okay. Philip died... Let me read this here. Philip had a wife. He's one of the other, only other apostles that had one, and she died. He had four daughters, which were unmarried. He had four unmarried daughters, all of whom were prophets, prophetesses. He went to Asia Minor. He had one daughter that died, and her bones are in Ephesus. The other three are in uh, what they call Heliopolis, Phrygia, which is one of the seven churches that Revelation talks about in Asia Minor, which is Turkey today. Ephesus is in Turkey. Shortly after Paul's arrest in Jerusalem, Philip and his family moved to the city of Heropolis, which is in Asia Minor. It's a Greek city. Philip was one of the twelve apostles. His bones now lie in Heropolis with, his, with two of his daughters, and those, those two two remained unmarried until the end of their days while the other daughter lived in the spirit and, and helped build a church which in her bones are in Ephesus. There were four, his four, all four of his daughters were prophetesses in the churches. Heropolis is in Asia. While based in Heropolis, Philip made several missionary journeys to Galatia in the area of Asia Minor where Philip did preach and won thousands. 
It is believed that Philip preached in Carthage also, which is in Tunisia. Philip eventually widowed by the time he went to Hierapolis, but four of his daughters were prominent in his life and in the church in the early second centuries. This is history book. The scripture doesn't single those out and say it, but, but history shows and has their graves and has their monuments and has the churches that Philip actually built with, with monuments of him. And uh, what happened to him in AD 80, he was stoned, thrown into prison, and then crucified. And I'm going to have to stop with that. So Philip was crucified for preaching the gospel of Christ. And his bones were laid out there. So he was, he was stoned, then imprisoned, then drug out and crucified. I had, to go, I had to go speed through his crucifixion. We'll cover a little bit more as we wrap that up the next time. But he died in AD 80. Oh, the other one was scourged. I don't know if you know scourged. Jesus took a scourge. Cat and nine tails, whipped, beaten, just flogged with a stick. So Philip was stoned, then scourged, then put into prison, and then drug out and crucified. One of his other daughters were crucified with him, and their bones remained side by side. Anyway, that's briefly, I, I sped through, that's Philip. Next time we'll get to his best buddy, Nathaniel, which is Bartholomew. I hope we all got gleaned something from it today, but I'll cover a little bit more of that next time I teach. You listen to Deacon Danny Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.